Welcome to Make Your Life Magnificent with coaches Jackie and Mimi, co-founders of The Resting Mind. We're keeping it real with Generation X women talking about the stuff that keeps you up at night. From managing the demands of your career to finding happiness in your life and everything in between. Each week, we'll help you close the gap between your conscious goals, the results you want to achieve, and your subconscious settings, your thoughts and beliefs, by sharing tools and strategies based in brain science and energy. Welcome to our first annual Gen X Woman of the Year episode. This is a way for us to acknowledge and bubble up a new and incredible Gen X woman every year. Jackie, I'm going to hand it over to you to announce our very first Gen X Woman of the Year. I am so excited. So this year, our Gen X Woman, our inaugural Gen X Woman of the Year is a woman named Carrie Tannenbaum. Carrie actually happens to be a very dear friend to both Mimi and myself. She is actually the impetus to starting our business together because she she connected us. We both knew Carrie for many years separately. We both heard about each other for many years and hadn't met. And when we did, from the spark of Carrie trying to put us together, it was pure love. And our love goes on and reaches beyond and into Carrie. Not only because she's just a wonderful woman, but she is really embraces everything that this award is about. It is about people who are positive and inspiring. And upbeat. It's also about people who've gone through adversity in their lives, how they showed up every day, how they got through to the other side. So let me tell you a little bit about Carrie, ladies. Carrie Tannenbaum is a professional genealogist and researcher who works with people looking to learn more about family history. Like a detective, she investigates clues, connects the dots, and aims to solve a family mystery. I'm obsessed because I well, love I, she has solved a family mystery for me. I know she she's has. amazing. She solved a huge family hist- a mystery for mm-hmm. you, and and what a what a fun and exciting and it's thing, a, gift and a gift to my to family. It's amazing, especially your dad. Mm-hmm. So her goal is to provide new discoveries and bring ancestors' stories to life. Her company's name is the Family Dot Connector. Prior to turning into a professional genealogist over two years ago, Carrie actually worked in marketing and program management in the media industry for over 24 years. That's how I and know her. And that's how I know her also. As a matter of fact, Carrie and I both graduated from college and started our professional careers the same week. And that's how we met. We were in the same department. We were both research assistants at this media com- a tech media company. And here you are so many years later. But when the opportunity presented itself for a career change, Carrie immersed herself in genealogy education, earning a certificate in genealogical research from Boston University, and completing a one-year peer study program known as ProGen. Today, Carrie works with individual clients to build family trees and unearth their stories to pass along to future generations. So without further ado, we're going to bring in Carrie. Hello, Carrie. We are Hi, so ladies. We are so <laughs> thrilled that you are here and beyond honored that you are the very first Gen X woman, the Resting Minds Gen X Woman of the Year. Now, it's fitting for a lot of reasons, mostly because you are the reason why Jackie and I are sitting here today, but also because honestly, I don't think that there is anyone else that I know 
I want to say who I think is as fabulous and someone that I have looked up to myself personally since I met you back in 1993. And I don't know that you know that. I don't think I've ever said that to you before. Sweet. That's so sweet. And can you believe it's 1993? Like how, I, can't. <laughs> I know. And I think Jackie, I think we met maybe around 2003, could it have been? 2003. Somewhere around there. That's exactly right. 2003. One of the things that I love about Carrie is this positivity that she exudes no matter what. And ladies, while you're listening to this podcast, you are going to just eat it up because it's going to come through because there's just an essence of always seeing the good that very few people can do. And we're going to talk a little bit about Carrie's adversity. She's had a lot in her life and is standing up not only strong, but beautiful and healthy and happy and, and happy really, throughout the whole process, which is admirable. Very admirable. And also a role model. And this is what I meant before. So Carrie is someone who you've always impressed me with your, your sense of confidence and your sense of being able to really speak clearly and articulately about what's important to you. And through the years, we, so just some background, Carrie and I first met right out of college, our very first jobs together. I remember the day very clearly. And through the years, we remained friends, even though we were both different career paths and then Carrie went on to have kids and I didn't, but we always stayed in touch. And I always we would make a point to have lunch once a month, right, Carrie? And we would yep, have I love those. Yeah, yep. we love yeah. those lunches. And we, but I would always leave feeling so inspired by you because of your ability to just really be so forward thinking. And you always made me feel more confident. So I guess the question is, do you look at yourself as someone who comes, that's very a very confident person? Yes and no. Like sometimes I just, I don't think about it, honestly. I think I am just who I am, but I've had that feedback from other people and it makes me stop and think, well, what is it? I think it's more just being comfortable in my own skin and having mm -hmm. a sense of who I am. I've kind of always been like that. I think I've gotten more confident and comfortable as I've gotten older, of course, but I always had that peace. I remember even in high school, people would say like, where did she come from? You know, where, where, is that, where does that, com that confidence come from? And I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It's just... I often had a sense of who I was and what I wanted. Um, and you know, I guess it just has been refined over the years, but uh, it, it's always been kind of who I am. Yeah, I, that's one thing that has really always stood out to me about you. And I find it very refreshing because I think that it's something that a lot of women don't necessarily have, right? And so someone that shows up and says, this is who I am and I have a very strong sense of who I am. I find that very refreshing. And thank you, because, you know, it's funny, though, but sometimes people are not comfortable with that. Sometimes it could be um, too much for them, especially where you are, you know, in your, in your career or, you know, it's, it's interesting how it's received differently. But I think it's a reflection of the other person. If they're comfortable in their skin, you're comfortable in your skin. It kind of just gels. And it, it's been something that's definitely evolved over the years. Um, and I'm definitely much more comfortable now with who I am. So one of the blessings of being in your 40s, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. it is. We, like we touch on that for a little. I know we're going to sidetrack, but as a woman and as a successful woman, as you have been, Carrie, in lots of areas of your life, do you find that 
your confidence becomes a threat to other women? And can you share a story? Because I know that we have talked about this in podcasts of the past, you know, not to knock each other's crown off. Have you, do you have any stories of places where you've actually felt that your confidence made people feel less confident? Yes, I definitely, definitely at work. And it's definitely in my twenties, I'd say, and my early thirties where I was very driven. I knew what I wanted for my next step. And people that didn't have that same idea of what was next for them or confidence in their own abilities would often feel threatened. And it came through in ways that I didn't expect. Um, you know, a lot of times they would be whispering behind my back to other, saying stuff to other people. It wasn't like they directly deal with me. And, or it was just a vibe that I got where they, they were shutting me out of a meeting or there was something where there was some level of threat. And I can't give one exact scenario, but I just remember encountering this at different points. It was usually other women, interestingly, right? It wasn't- mm -hmm. Not surprised. It wasn't the guys that I had that issue with. It was mostly the women. I, I remember being annoyed by it and somewhat baffled, but it wound up being something that I typically outlasted them. A lot of times they did not stay with the company. It, it, things would almost weed themselves out is the best way to put it. So if I could learn how to navigate around them, eventually I would, you know, I was able to get past that. But it definitely made me think of people differently in terms of how I dealt with people after that. And as I matured in my career, I, I changed my approach sometimes because I realized that not everybody responds the same way. So I kind of figured out what makes people tick and I would refine my communication style or my approach so that they didn't view me as a threat and they realized what my intentions were. So I think that was just something that evolved and refined as I got older. When I see younger people like that, I think, oh, that's how I was. And one day they'll, they'll soften a little bit, but I was feistier. I think you both know that you knew me early in my career and uh, I definitely was feisty and I had a very strong opinion and, and I think I've softened a lot. Not that I don't have an opinion, but I may not voice it as, as much. I use it more strategically. And so it has more impact when I say something. <laughs> I love that. I love that so. you really took that. So, and that's something that really, again, has always stood out to me and something that I always admired and tried to emulate. So you've inspired me from the very beginning. But I love also that you said that you now use it more strategically, right? And so that it has more impact. So you're a Gen X woman that's adaptable? Yes. I don't believe it. <laughs> you know, that's the greatest thing about being a Gen X woman is that we are so adaptable and you have actually proven that in just the way you communicate and relate to others. And I think a big part of that is self-awareness. Like I don't, I don't think I ever used to stop and see how I was perceived by other people. I only saw things from my own perspective. And I think now I kind of sometimes go outside of myself and see how with this, not that you can always get into somebody else's head, but you know, if I had to kind of look at myself from, from above and, and how this is, how can this be perceived by somebody else? And, and so I try to do that sometimes is anticipate. Again, you can't always know how somebody's going to react, but if I could just say, well, you know, that might come across not so nice to somebody, they might perceive that as being bossy or um, self-serving. And so let's make sure they understand how they benefit as well, not just me, like what's in it for both of us. And those, those type of things where I think about it, how they're going to be, maybe be more open to something. Your so. self-awareness has always been admirable and you've always worked on your self-awareness. Was there a time or a, a time or a situation that 
started making you more aware of this personal development journey? Or have you always just really been a reflective individual from a young age? I think there was some element of the reflection and, and I, I used to analyze myself a lot. I, you know, probably overanalyze would be the, you know, I was very um, critical of myself. I would dissect, you know, things my friends did and analyze situations. And like that analytical mind served me well in business, but it could get in the way with friendships, right? So, you know, I definitely think I had that, uh, you know, that quality about me, which sometimes did not work for me. But then I started then saying, okay, what can I do that's going to turn this into a more positive situation? And some of it was changing my expectations. I had right. very high expectations, not only of them, but myself, right? So I felt like, well, if I'm, I'm going to bring this to the equation, they should be also. And, you know, of course, that can be setting up for a lot of disappointment. So I really, that's one of the big changes for me was that I had to change my expectations of other people and focus more on myself, which was the one thing I could control. I can't right. control them, but I could at least control how I approach things. And so I did start, you know, I, I dabbled in a lot of the self-help books and, um, you know, I loved watching Oprah. I always felt like her show would always give me inspiration. And so that was my daily fix. Um, so I did that stuff like early on when that was really popular. And, and now I just try to make sure I surround myself with content that you know always makes me stop and think and look at things in a different way and of course you guys got me into podcasting yeah you know just because <laughs> I never listened to a podcast unless until I listened to yours and now I actually have about five or six that I oh. you know, I listen to yours religiously but I have like five or six that I actually listen to and I enjoy and I use that as my you know time to go for a walk or when I'm doing laundry something but I'm always trying to feed my my mind with positive so now you things and just looking at differently. So you have to spill now. What are the other podcasts that you listen to? Oh, um, there's one that's called Family Secrets. Okay, and uh, that ties to my love of genealogy. But I love it's a the person that does it is a great storyteller. Um, there's also another coach that was just recently introduced to me, and I think her podcast is called Ready Yet. Okay, and I I like I like how she does. Um, I just like her style. I dabble on a couple, and I, I believe it or not, I love the, the New York Times Daily. I just love the way they cover stories. And, and I love the voices, and it just, it's, it's a very engaging way. And it helps me just keep up on issues and look at different sides of it. So those are kind of like my go-tos, but I'm often, you know, listening to others as well. Um, dabbling. Just, <laughs> I love dabbling, that we were your introduction like, into podcasting. <laughs> you are. I really, think that's, I, I think it's, You've changed my behavior. Look at that. There you go. <laughs> See, check. Done. Thank you. Good night. It was nice interviewing, Carrie. <laughs> Let's leave on a high note. <laughs> all right. Um, no, and I, and of course, I'm telling all my friends, you have to listen to this podcast. This is going to yeah, help you, you know. So. You know, Carrie, that brings me to two things about you that really stand out. One is your ability to just be positive. And I want to dig down into that because it seems like it comes across very naturally to you, but I'm sure that it also takes work. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is just your ability to connect people. So Carrie, you're someone who really just comes across as always being so darn positive, no matter what. You're always someone who looks at the bright side. And one would think, well, that's just the way Carrie is. Like she just wakes up happy every day. But I would suspect that you really put effort into it. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I remember when I was a kid, I was not the most positive. I was definitely 
that you know anticipated the worst and you know this is going to happen and i knew it and yeah it's funny because i see it with my own kids now right and i'm miss you know positive think of it this way trying to give them all the advice which is funny because here i you know they are me looking back at me you know many years later so i definitely think it's a conscious effort i think it's a practice yeah. And I think once you start doing it regularly, it becomes second nature and it's just a, by default that that's how you are. So, you know, definitely for me, like what's happened in my life, you know, different things that have happened to my family with health related issues has really changed the way I approach things. And I really thought, you know what, I can be either down in the dumps and be negative, or I can change the way I approach this. And I can think about what's going right instead of what's going wrong mm -hmm. and, um, and get through it that way. And, and once I started consciously doing that, it, it became easier because it was something that was uncomfortable initially. It wasn't my go-to, you know, a default place to be. So I definitely had to practice. And I, you know, for one of the things I did was keep a gratitude journal, but I didn't do it writing it down. I actually used an app because it was just easier. It was quick and easy. I could do it from anywhere. And I, I downloaded an app. It was called Gratitude Rock. It was very simple. You know, there's a lot of different ones out there, but this was one of the most simple ones. Uh, I think it was a free app and I just downloaded it and I would write three or four things each day that was going right. And, and it's also fun to look back because I forgot about a lot of that. And when I look back, I, it brings me right back to that day. So it's, it, and it's all positive thing. So who doesn't want to read like something great that happened that day? Right. Uh, but it, it really did enable me to sort of switch something that would have been a really negative and bad experience and turn it into like, you know what, there are some very positive things in here. And if I can train my brain to look at that, I'll be able to get through this better. And so for me, that was a practice. And now I honestly don't keep a gratitude journal anymore, but I think I just do it naturally. Right. So like when I think about things, I'll always say, well, at least this, oh, well, this wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for this. Right. My brain does that automatically. So even though, you know, it's not something, it's it just somehow it, it evolved to the point where it's natural now. Right. So you're really like living proof of what we talk about here at The Resting Mind, where you rewire your brain and you're someone who has rewired it to always be scanning for the positive things where our brains are naturally always scanning for the watch out, let's be careful, you're doing the opposite. And it's become second nature now. It has. And it's interesting because I would never have known that had I not lived it. You know, it's yeah. when, when you're starting the process, you're never going to think that's going to be the outcome. But I can say from firsthand experience that this has become very, very second nature for me. So Carrie, in, in 2015, you, I remember um, getting a text this is one of the reasons why you should never check your texts in the middle of the night. And it, it was from you. And you said, I just want to let you know that I've been diagnosed with breast cancer. And I was like, oh my God, like it was just, I'm almost speechless even just thinking about it because I know how difficult it was and how many hard decisions that you had to make. But I also remember you then being analytical, making the decisions and then just moving forward from them. Do you think that that was, was that something that you had to train yourself to do as well? Well, I think naturally I'm a planner. And so when I got thrown into that situation, I had no game plan. I, this was like uncharted territory for me and my family. We really didn't know like what the next steps were. So it was such an overwhelming time, not only dealing with the fact that you just got diagnosed with cancer and like, oh my gosh, what is this going to mean? 
pain. But then what do I do next? And the mo for me, the most stressful time was from the point I was diagnosed to the point that I made my decision on what my course of treatment would be. And in there, I was so out of sorts. I broke out in hives for like a I week. I remember that. I was just beside myself. The stress levels were out, you know, just beyond. And I think once I finally made my decisions, and it was really hard to know what's the right decision because, you know, you get conflicting opinions from doctors. You know, you go for one, one and they, you walk out saying, is that the right course of treatment? And then you see somebody else and they give you a completely different approach and you're trying to figure out, okay, do I trust my gut? But I don't even know if my gut is, is what my gut is telling me. And actually at that time, all I prayed for was clarity. You know, I remember like, that. Let me know exactly. I'm getting emotional because it brings me back, but um, of course, I remember but basically, that. that was just the worst. And I am most sympathetic to other, um, the other people that are diagnosed. I always say, this is the worst period of time. And once you have a game plan, you feel like you have some form of control and that you can start working on your recovery. Right. But until that time where you're just in this unknown place and you have no idea what's the right course of action there's so many decisions to be made when you're diagnosed with breast cancer and you don't know that until you're in it you know it's as simple as do i um do i get a a lumpectomy a single mastectomy a double mastectomy mm -hmm. each one of those has very different courses of treatment do you have to take chemo if you do which which course of treatment are you going to take there's there's many different drugs out there and there's different protocols so there's not one size for, you know, it fits all. And so it was like, do I do this or do I do this? Then it's like, do I do reconstruction? There's different types of reconstruction. And so this thing just starts to be, there's so many decisions to be made. And when you're not in a good place, it's a very difficult thing to make one decision after the next. Right. And Especially, to make the right yeah, decision, right. right? When you're yes. under stress, you, you don't always see things clearly. I would imagine, Carrie, you are a natural researcher and dot connector. Did that play a role? Did that make it a little bit easier because you knew you were, you are so process oriented that at least you knew that you could figure out the right process by collecting the information and then sorting it? Do you think that it made it easier for you or it made you feel like you had better control? To a, to a slight degree, but believe it or not, there's so much information out there on the internet that you can actually make yourself crazy mm -hmm. and you can start diagnosing yourself with, or you could look at your prognosis, you know, and, right. and then that could be a, you know, so actually consciously I decided not to do too much internet research. That was advice that was given to me and I, I did barely any because I found when I started to do it, it made me feel worse. I decided just to know, to research the questions to ask and that was by talking to other people who had been through the process. So inevitably every friend of mine knew somebody who had been diagnosed with breast cancer and it's a sad it's a sad reality but mm -hmm. most people know somebody sure. and i reached out to about two or three different people and i asked them a lot of questions about their experience and what they had learned through it and then i wrote my list of questions and then when i went to see doctors i i had my list of questions so that was a form of research but it wasn't it was really about people who had already been through it because i felt like they were the best resource for me um, and, and, and the internet can be great. Like there's communities set up and there's lots of you know, ways to get advice from other people. But at that point in time, I needed to keep it contained and I needed to have a focus 
and I needed to trust the doctors. I also got a lot of recommendations for doctors. Everybody knew the best, the best yes. breast surgeon, like everybody was the best, you know, that was kind of overwhelming too. Sure. And so I had to just reduce the, I only went to two or three and that was it. And I said, I have to trust that I will find the right person from here. So um, it sounds counterintuitive, believe it or not, to like the way I would normally do things. But when I was faced with this, I found it was more, more research and more choice just overwhelmed me more. But so I consciously decided not to go that far. And I, I had my mother and my husband with me for every doctor's appointment so that I had an extra ears and other people to talk to and bounce everything off of. And it was really important that they both be there for all appointments so we could really figure out which was the right partners to go with. And so we all spoke, it was, it was a, they ultimately had me make the decision, of course. It was really important to me to have them to bounce everything off of and talk it through. And then when we said, okay, here's the plan, it was like a weight lifted. And all of a sudden it was yeah. like, okay, now I got to do what I got to do. And that was it. And I you did not want to have a surgery. I did not want to have chemo. I had to do it so I could move on with my life. And that was literally how I talked to myself. Yeah. Just do what you got to do so you can move on with your life. And look and at you five years you. later yeah. with your, you know, yeah. healthy, in rem complete remission, a beautiful life, a beautiful family, and you get to, you get to see your children grow. And, and those are the things that we live for. Those are the things that we fight for when we're faced with adversity. Definitely. My two so, daughters were my guiding light. And I remember that. I remember you're like, I'm biting the bullet. I'm doing what I got to do. So I never have to do this again. I, and I did, I went aggressive. That was the one thing I went mm -hmm. very aggressive. Yeah. Um, not that I want, especially the chemo. I did not want to do chemo. That was the last thing I wanted to do to my body. But they say, gave me, you know, percentages, like this will be either 95% effective or 97. It was, it was very high that you will not have to deal with this again. And I have to do, I will go to my lowest place, you know, where my body is completely broken down, but I will do what I have to do so that I don't have to deal with this again. And of course there's no guarantees, but then I will have peace of mind to know that I did everything I could. There would never be that doubt that like, oh, maybe I should have done that. You know, maybe that would have made the difference. I know I did everything as aggressive as I could have under the circumstances. So Carrie, you know, I feel like this is like leading up all the things that we talked about, like all the amazing things that we talked about. You are, you know, your, your confidence, your positivity, your ability to analyze things, make solid decisions. It almost like all of that stuff you pulled from to get through this point, which I would imagine is a very, this is, would you say that the diagnosis was probably one of the most pivotal parts of your life? It's like BC, before cancer mm -hmm. and then after cancer. So yeah. I'll often say, oh, that was BC, that was before cancer. Yeah. Definitely. That was, yeah. for me, a life-changing yeah. event. I know Absolutely. when I think about- Because it changes everything. It changes your perspective. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it changes your perspective. It, it changes your body. Like my body just felt very different after that. And, you know, I had to adapt to my new body. Um, but my perspective, you can't go through something like that unscathed. There's just no way. It absolutely becomes a part of who you are. It does. And you're part of a club you don't want to be in, mm -hmm. but there are gifts of cancer. I always say that there are gifts that came out of that. 
Yeah. We talk about that all the time. Yeah. My husband and I, we, I attribute our marriage being together still to his cancer. Yeah. Because we were in a really rough place before he got sick. And while I wouldn't say I'm glad he got sick, I do believe that it was for us the thing that made us really realize that our life is better because we were able to showcase to each other that we needed each other being two independent souls and only children we were kind of living our life separate but together and this really made us come together and and recognize the strength and power in relying on somebody else which is just a it's just a gift to the point of you having rob and your mom with you to be support and to help you with those decisions yeah, every step of the way it's every step of the way. You know, to, to that point, Carrie, I want to touch a little bit before we move on, because there's so many more, there's so many more dimensions to you than cancer. This is just one of your pivotal moments and one milestone in your life. But I do want to touch on this idea that relationships change so much in our lifetime regardless. But when you go through something as heavy, as scary, as demanding, as, as humanizing as cancer, I'm, I'm, I would believe that relationships in your life changed better for worse. Can you talk a little bit about your perspective on relationships or how they've changed or morphed during all of this? Well, my family is tight to begin with. I have a very strong relationship with my two brothers and their families. Uh, it was, and my mom and, and my mom and I are like best friends. And Rob has always been like my, my sounding board for everything, my husband, Rob. So for me, it was just a, a, a crisis that we had to go through together, mm -hmm. but it honestly didn't change our relationship because it, the relationship was already super strong. These were going to be surrounded me and people I felt the most comfortable with. Um, where it was very difficult was my two daughters who were young at the time. They were only nine and seven. So trying to um, help them navigate this was very challenging. And I do think while they were young, it has scarred them to some degree. I think there's some anxieties that you know they still deal with uh, because they remember what I went through. Mm -hmm. And I think they're worried for their themselves. And so I have to say, I have to have a lot of conversations with them especially as they're turning into teenagers and you know these are things that are becoming more they're more aware of so we have a lot of conversations but um we're open about things and i think that's the most important part is that i don't i don't sugarcoat anything i'm very i answer any questions that they have and i need them to be comfortable with talking to me about it so from a family perspective we're very open and we're very close and those just it, I guess in some ways, maybe it made us closer because we, we had to go through such a difficult time, but I never questioned that they were all going to be there for me. Yeah. What was the real uh, surprise to me was the friendships because I never expected the outpouring that I got. And you know, you, both of you are good friends of mine already. You were both there for me throughout the whole process, which you know, I'll always remember and, and be grateful for. But I also had a lot of people who I just knew from my community, just moms from the school, uh, co-workers, you know, people who I, I enjoyed that I didn't really know very well. And when they found out about my diagnosis, they started a meal train and I, I got meals for the entire time that I was on chemo, which was three months. So, 
you know, five days a week, I was getting meals uh, delivered from the community. That was unbelievable to me. And actually in the two weeks that I had my surgery prior to that, my friends, my local friends, like people I was very close to, they did the meal train automatically then. So it was the way that people showed their love. I got cards and flowers and very thoughtful gifts, like blankets. This was going into the winter. So I was getting a lot of cozy pajamas and blankets. And every, every time I turned around, I was some, the postman was very busy. <laughs> I was constantly getting uh, deliveries. And my mom was staying with me full time to help me while I healed. And she would say to me, my goodness, I, I didn't even know. Oh, you had this many friends. And I, like, me neither. I, <laughs> I know I was like, I didn't realize how, how many people in my life really truly cared that much. And that was the part that was just overwhelming was the, the support. And I, I believe it or not, I made new friends through the process. There were some moms at school who I maybe knew as a brief hello and they cooked for me. And now I'm actually very close to them. Mm. And then, uh, you know, I, I reciprocate now when there's somebody else going through a difficult situation. I'll never forget who did stuff for me and I will always extend myself. And then of course, when I hear of anybody else going through something, I, I've started meal trains for them because I just know how, how much it helped my family get through a rough patch. So I think the biggest takeaway was like, I didn't realize how much people cared for me and they would tell me, you know, I had never had so many people tell me they loved me either. Like that was like reserved for just my parents or my husband. Mm -hmm. And it was like this free, this freeing of like people always telling me that they love me. I thought, do they think I'm not going to survive? And they have to tell me that now in case something happens, you know, I kept thinking, why is everybody telling me that they love me? But believe it or not, it wound up actually making me more comfortable with saying that to people and letting them know my feelings because it's like they gave me permission. So I love you, awesome. Carrie. I'm sending you a big I oh, love. I love you guys. You, you always said that to me anyway, Jackie. You always, every time you tell you to me. <laughs> well, Carrie and I have been through but a lot I, of big stuff. <laughs> but I wasn't used to that. It was just, it wasn't the way I, you know, I would express myself. Like, right. of course I love my friends. I care deeply, but it wasn't just something I would say to them. And I, believe it or not, since you know, this whole thing, I, I'm very open with my friends and I always let them know how I feel, you know, because I think it's important. You know, you just don't know what's around the corner and you want to have no regrets. Yeah, so, um, I'm not surprised though that, that so many, thing I'm not surprised by that though, because you were just such a genuine, authentic person who truly gives all the time. Like if you're a friend of Carrie's, like you're always in that person's corner. So it, I'm not surprised that you got this outpouring in the way that you did when this happened. Thank you. But I honestly, I just, I honestly never thought of it. And, and some people did to that point, some people reminded me of things I did for them. And it might've been like five, 10 years prior to that. I had no recollection of even doing those things. And yet they said, I never forget that you did this for me. And I, I, you know, I want to be here for you while you're going through your rough patch. And I thought, Wow, I, I, you know, that's so nice that I made an impression on that person. I had no idea, you know. <laughs> I want to, I want to share a Carrie moment because during this time, Carrie and I would go to lunch whenever she could, or I'd stop by for a visit. We'd go for walks. Yes. And I would ask Carrie for updates on everything, and I'd want all the information and the details. And it didn't matter. Carrie always asked how I was doing. She's going through the most. Uh, 
difficult time, but Carrie, you are one of the most giving people to Mimi's point. You're one of the most giving people. And you always ask like, well, how are you doing? I don't want and this to be listen. all about me. You listen. You are the most, you are the best listener. <laughs> you say this all the time. Holy cow. You are the best listener. I wish, so can you teach John? <laughs> <laughs> so for all you listeners out there that need a good listener friend, She's you the need best. to find Carrie. You are hands down the best. You listen and you reflect back and you felt you feel very cared for when you're in your presence, which I think I'm going to use this as a good segue into your love of genealogy. And I want to talk a little bit about your career pivot because I think it's fascinating. So you call yourself the family dot connector, the detective, the detective, because you have, <laughs> you, you used your research skills for this love of genealogy, which originally was a hobby because I remember just even talking about it as over our lunches, you know, where you were kind of doing investigative work in, into your own family. And then I shared with you that I had some family secrets that I wanted to uncover, which Carrie has, um, doing her deep investigation. <laughs> fascinating. So I think your love of just listening to people and being inquisitive and analytical and being social has really lent itself to this new, new chapter. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how all of that came together? Yeah, you know, this this is really interesting how this has um, is has unfolded and is continuing to, you know, unfold. Um, so I started getting a little restless, I would say, in my career. I, I worked, you know, in the city. I've worked with both of you over the years, but Jackie had left the company and it wasn't the same after she left <laughs> and things over the years started to you know, evolve and made me stop and think about what's next for me. And I felt a restlessness, but I felt like it would be irresponsible of me to just quit my job and start something else, you know? Um, so that's just my, that side of me where I just couldn't justify it. But then, you know, sometimes life happens and there were restructuring that took place at the company and my role was eliminated. And I actually was like, I now have permission mm -hmm. to pursue what I want to do. Like it was like the universe gave me the nudge I needed to move in the direction. And my husband was extremely supportive. I had supported him when he had his own business 10 years before. And he wanted to support me now in something. He wanted to see me happy and doing something that brought me fulfillment. And um, so I took a little time because I think it's important after working at a job for a long time that you take some time to just regroup or detox, whatever, you know, how bad, <laughs> how bad it may be. You know, because sometimes, you know, yeah, you just have to shed you, that part of who yeah. your identity, right? Your big part of your identity is commuting to the city, the big city job. And all of a sudden I had to really go back to the basics of like, well, who am I? What do I like to do? How do I like to spend my time? Like really do some soul searching and then just get to things I never had time to do. So I, I definitely took a good six to eight months just to focus on myself and figure out, you know, what I wanted to do. And then I started to um, dabble a little bit in the genealogy and, you know, just by happenstance, somebody I knew introduced me to a, a professional genealogist who was lovely and spent a couple of hours and gave me some advice. And she mentioned to me about a certificate program at Boston University. And so that opened up another door. I wound up taking that course for four months. It was very intense, but it taught me, uh, you know, the foundation for what I do today. And at the end of that certificate program, 
I said, you know what, I think I'm going to try this. I, I, you know, at first I was thinking, I don't know if this is going to be for my career or if this is going to be just me being really great at my hobby. But by the end of it, I thought I can do this. So I set up my website and I printed out my business cards and I started to, you know, to get, take on some small clients and even offer some free services just to get some experience. And I found I really liked doing it. That was the other part. You want to make sure you really like it, you know, for somebody else, not just your own work. And um, it's just sort of evolved from there. And what I really loved was not the fact I was learning something new every day, which I just part of who I am. I love to learn. I just get bored after a while. So it's like, I like that it pushes me to keep growing and learning. Um, but what I loved was that all my skills from my earlier career, market research, you know, research, I should say, marketing, research, program management, client service, all of a sudden that those skills could actually apply to me being my own business. I have to market my own business. I have sure. to use these skills. I have to work with clients. And that's what really made me feel good because one of the things I was most concerned about was that, oh, I spent 25 years building this career and, and my network. And then I'm literally going to throw that aside and start something brand new. And all the you know, energy and time that I put into building that career, was that like a waste? And it was like, no, no, no. Everything is moving me in the direction of who I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Those skills don't go away. They're just building up and they're all coming together like the puzzle pieces to, you know, kind of bring everything together for me. So now it's not only that I have all these skills and I do have a network, maybe they're in a different industry, but there's still a network. You know, you never know where people's careers are going to take them. And, um, and now I'm doing something that actually brings me joy that I like getting up in the morning and doing and, uh, and challenges me. It's not a case of it being easy. It's just the fact that it, I don't look at it as drudgery anymore. I look at it as like invigorating and I'm going to figure this out. You know, I, this is giving me, I'm running for my money. I'm going to figure this out. So, um, but all the skills, even, you know, I had to go into an industry where I nobody, you know, right. except for that one genealogist that I met. All of a sudden I'm putting myself out there. I'm going to local genealogy society meetings and, um, and it's a completely different audience. You know, it's not anybody I know. I like I, I'm going in by myself and just putting myself out there. I tapped into my business skills and I just went up and started introducing myself to people and volunteering to like work on a newsletter and do different committees and just to get myself out there. And, and then now I've sort of built a nice, you know, new group of, you know, colleagues and, and many of them are very generous with their time and I reach out to them for questions and everybody's very willing to help. But I had to really put myself out there and put myself in situations where I didn't have a point person. It was just me, you know, right. and that was, you know, for me, that was a big change. It was, you know, it was riskier and it was uh, making myself more vulnerable, but I had to get out of my comfort zone and I needed to put myself out there. And that's kind of my thing now is that, you know, I'm just going to raise my hand for something or I'm just going to do it. You know, what's the worst that happens? And I'll say to myself, hey, I went through cancer. I can handle that. I can handle this, you know? <laughs> and it really just diminishes any kind of quivers that I might have because I'm like, you know, I, honestly, in the grand scheme, you know, what is this? This is not going to matter. Like the important stuff, it's the bigger stuff. So I can handle that. So. Well, there's that positivity coming through again, because I, I believe being an entrepreneur is the most exciting and invigorating thing that you can do, but it is the scariest and most frustrating as well, where, where you used to have so many people and teammates around you to help you and everyone's 
skills or strengths, you tap into that. Okay. You're really good at Excel. You do that. You're really good at sales. You do that. And all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, Excel and sales and marketing and putting it together. It's all on you. you. So is there a piece that you, that really energizes you? And is there a piece that you still struggle with and you're still trying to um, kind of hone in on as being an entrepreneur? Well, it's interesting because with genealogy, there's the craft of genealogy, and then there's the business of genealogy, right? And so I, I do like the, I like the working with a team. So that's a little bit of what I miss. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to consciously put myself out there and try to collaborate with others. So I was just saying that recently to my husband that, you know, I, I'm jealous of the fact that you have each other where you can guys can bounce off. Like sometimes I feel like I want that point person that I could say, can you review my work and give me another extra set of eyes? And I think down the road, I'm going to create a little bit of a collective with other genealogists that we can maybe, you know, help each other out and review each other's great. work. I think that's an idea that I'm kind of playing around with. You know, it's hard when you're by yourself. The business side, I, I love the fact, I, I actually get like really excited after I've done a call with a potential client and win them over basically. <laughs> and I think I did the strength finders and I was a woo, win others over. That was like one of my, my I mean, strengths. I and remember. Because I really love, yeah. And I re- I realized I love just talking to somebody and, and converting them to, from a lead to a client. That's like something I just love, which is funny because I was never a salesperson at heart. I was always a marketing person, but it's interesting um, how, I think it's because I'm selling, selling something I believe in and something, right. And that's something I love, which is I'm going to be able to do these services for you. So I think that was all the difference. That was the missing ingredient for me. Well, you probably Uh, also, Sorry, you probably also see that you have, you are providing a service that somebody needs. So not only do you love it, but you can see, you know what, this is an exchange of goods and services. So you, my expertise is going to make you feel better or more complete or get your curiosity satiated, whatever that is. So that perspective is really powerful and, and that change. Because I think a lot of times people think of sales as, use car salesman and how am I pushing something that you don't need as opposed to I'm providing something that you do need and either you're ready to to take it on or you're not. Yeah. Well, with the interesting thing yeah. with the work that we did together, Carrie, is Carrie really unraveled a family mystery. So that was really fascinating and her whole entire process was really fascinating. But it was bigger than that. And you've just given me this gift of the history of my family. And it's just even beyond an exchange of, you know, the hours that you gave me, you know, that I bought from you to, to execute this service. Like you've just given me an entire history. And that's something that I can pass forward to my, my nieces and nephews. You know, it's, it's incredible. We'll have to chat another time. I finally went through the, she gave me a 50 page report with, with all a lot of, of visuals, so a lot of visuals, but a so, lot of it, old a lot it of was amazing. <laughs> I went through it with a highlighter over the weekend, so I've got lots of questions for you. So we'll have to chat another time. Sounds like a good excuse to get together. That's yeah, sure. no, no, I was just gonna say that's one of the rewards of my genealogy, you know, is that I do love that people figure out they they, they have a better sense of who they are, where they came from. It, it's a wonderful, uh, sentimental gift especially for an older person that, you know, they have everything, you know, the tangible stuff. And so as they get older, they get more nostalgic. 
And, um, and a lot of times I didn't know, you know, people didn't talk about things back then. So I was often bringing new discoveries to them. So, um, so I, I find that really rewarding. And so I'm so happy for you, Marisa, that, you know, that we were able to unlock some of those, you know, we were, we were, we able to, there's still some more. Yes, I was just going to say there's still more to unlock. There's still more work to do. That's, we're that, going to make it a movie, Carrie. Someday we're going to make it a movie. <laughs> great. Like, I talk about baptism by fire. That was one of my, the, probably one of the hardest projects. Um, so if I can do your project, I can do anybody's you can project. Do anyone's project. <laughs> so Carrie, you, you talked about this transition. You made a huge career transition. You're in your 40s. I'm not going to blow up your spot, but we know you're a Gen X and you're in your 40s. We, we all morph and change so much in our 20s and our 30s and our 40s. And here you are, you made this huge transition in your 40s. Do you think you could have done this sooner in your career or done this sooner in your life? Or do you feel like timing really played a part on when the universe came together for you, for you to, to take this next step? I think everything happens when it's supposed to happen, honestly, um, because, you know, even though I've always loved genealogy and I dabbled with it over the years, it really has been something that became much more of my focus in the, since about 2014, I'd say I started really doing it more seriously. So I think, it, it, you know, with life's challenges, you know, I had young children, I had my job busy. I didn't even have time to focus on it. And so it wasn't until I went through my cancer diagnosis and the treatment that at the end of that, I said, you know what, I'm going to start focusing on things that I enjoy and that I want to spend my time on and with people I want to spend my time with. I, it, that's one of the gifts of cancer is that it really makes you prioritize. And so that's actually what triggered me to then start focusing on genealogy again, because you know, it was, I, re I went back to, well, what makes me happy? What do I enjoy doing? And why don't I spend my time doing that? And my kids were a little bit older by this point. So I had a little bit more free time. So I do think it had to happen. Those other pieces had to come into place in order for me to get to where I am. Sometimes, of course, I wish I had started it sooner, but I just don't think I would have been ready. And I don't think I would have had the confidence even for myself as a business, you know, all the business skills that are needed to start a business. I don't think I would have been as far along as I needed to be. So I, I honestly think this is where I'm supposed to be. I love that. Yeah. I think I agree. We, we could talk to you all day, but in the essence of time, we have a couple of more like quick fire rapid succession questions for you that we'd love for you to answer okay. and leave our audience with. One of them is, as a Gen X woman, what three things would you say are vastly different now versus in your 20s? All right. So I would say that I, um, I think I've changed a lot since my 20s. Um, obviously physically, physically, my body is very different and I'm, you know, not where I want to be, but I, I'm actually accepting that like, Hey, I'm not going to be able to do what I used to do. And, you know, I'm just glad to be alive and I'm healthy. And so that I've changed my perspective on that. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say when I was in my twenties, I was very focused on career and my social life. And now I'm much more focused on my family, my health, and doing work that really energizes me. So it's my priorities have changed. That's one of the big things is that, you know, I just, what's important to me is very different. Me as a person, I was always the type that had to be right. Like when I was younger, I had to prove I was right. I had my case for why I was right. You know, uh, I had a very strong sense of justice and righteousness. And I'd say now I definitely believe in that saying, it's better to be kind than right. I'm still the same person I was when I was in my 20s. It's just like, you know, certain things have just 
refined. It's like a refinement, a, right? Don't you think? My word of the day today. I like that word. Refined. Refined. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Maybe a word of the year next. So the last question we have for you before we talk about how people can find you is, is there a piece of advice you would give your younger self? So for any of the listeners out there uh, and our millennial sisters that listen, what advice would you give to your younger self? I think surrounding yourself with people that make you feel good about yourself. That's yeah. my advice. Beautiful. Because, and this reminds me, it was actually speaking of Oprah when I said I used to watch it a lot. There was one thing I read in her magazine one time. I clipped it and I will always remember it. And she said, after spending time with somebody, when you step away, say to yourself, do you feel better or worse? And no, 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 like explaining it either. Do you feel better or worse after spending time with that person? And that should be your gauge as to whether or not that's somebody you should be spending time with. And that struck me. And that actually has been sort of my um, guiding light. While you know, as I meet new people, I'll say, is this somebody I want to surround myself with? Is this somebody that's going to be contributing to my life? Or is this somebody that's going to, you know, create drama or be toxic? And I will, at this point in my life, I have no time for that. I, I want to surround myself with people that bring out the best in me and make me feel good about myself. And I wish I learned that sooner. <laughs> okay, ladies. So Carrie Tannenbaum, I have to call her by the right name because I know her from her maiden name. But Carrie Tannenbaum is, as we said in the intro, an, an amazing woman. She is a genealogist and can do incredible things to help you really connect and find some of your history and ancestry. So if you are looking for some support there, Carrie has been really generous. She's actually doing a special offer for our audience. It's 10 hours of genealogy services for the price of eight hours. It's a, that's a savings of $100. So if you want to check out Carrie, go to www dot family dot connector dot com and put in the reference code gen x to receive your discount or you can find carrie uh, on facebook at the family dot connector mm -hmm. or her, or you can email carrie at carrie k-e-r-r-i at family dot connector dot com we'll put all of this in the, in show, the show notes but we are so excited congratulations on being our gen x woman of the year for all of our listeners, can you tell why we picked Carrie? Not because she was just because she brought us together, just but because she's she an amazing, magical. You're the best. You're magical. She's magical. And if you don't feel better after listening to this podcast and listening to Carrie's light and how she makes you stand in sunshine all the time, then this probably isn't the podcast for you. I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> All right, ladies, until oh, next week. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for having, thank you for coming on the show. And thank you for being an inspiration to us all the time in, in more ways than you will ever know. We, we love you, Carrie. All right, ladies, until next week. Cheers. Cheers, cheers to your I love you guys too. Thank you for the honor. If you like this episode, leave us a review. It'll help more Gen X ladies find us so they can make their life magnificent.